Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We will be reading from Revelation starting in chapter 16, verse 17 through 19, verse 10. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the Great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath, and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But then the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose for being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city, that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Chapter 18. After these things, I 
saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and live sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, because no one buys their cargoes any more, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice, incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe! Woe, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. 
and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer, for your merchants were the great men of earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I am always deeply appreciative that we as a fellowship can handle the extended reading of God's word. It is important as we read Revelation to read it in its larger context. We have already seen how from chapters 12 onward, you have this shift in emphasis. 12 was the great red dragon. 13, the first part was the beast from the sea, then the beast from the earth. But you have this emphasis then. We've looked at 15 and 16, which are the seven bowls. And then 17 and 18, 16 ends with, that's why we read that paragraph, with the destruction of the city. It's divided into three parts. Babylon, 17 exposes or describes this Babylon. 18 is its destruction. And then 19, you have this contrasting picture. And again, we will revisit this in just a moment, but think about it. Babylon, whatever that is, this idea, this empire, this nation, this city, is destroyed. Those who made merchandise of her profit from her weep and mourn. But in contrast, the people of God say hallelujah. There is an end to evil, amen? There is an end to evil. And because of that, we the church are to be encouraged. There is a hard stop coming when Jesus Christ will come back. But what we have in the book of Revelation is this contrasting picture, a tale of two contrasting cities. Both are driven by a trinity. The unholy trinity drives Babylon. The holy trinity is creating this new city. And you and I, as the people of God, will participate in that new city. 
most of us are familiar with the idea of fool's gold. I remember as a child going to the local field and finding fool's gold. Well, iron pyrite is a shiny material composed of iron disulfide. It looks somewhat like real gold. So it came to be called fool's gold. Fool's gold was often found during the gold rush of the 1840s in the U.S. Many inexperienced miners believed that they hit the mother load upon finding a catch of iron pyrite. Unlike the real thing, fool's gold is a relatively worthless commodity because of its natural abundance and lack of industrial utility. Investments in hot stocks that seem too good to be true only to crash and burn can be referred to as fool's gold. Journalists and Wall Street analysts sometimes use the term to describe overvalued stocks or bonds. Babylon, the idea that we see presented in our study, the world, and I'll point out how Babylon is this world, this ideology, this nation, city, empire. Babylon is fool's gold and is a fool's investment. Babylon will always take you further than you wish to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. In the end, Babylon will kill your body and cost you your soul. As we've noted, the book of Revelation keeps repeating itself. It keeps telling the same thing over and over and over again. In the book of Revelation, and we've noted this several times, we keep coming up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You have the seven churches. You have this vision in chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 6, you have the seals, the seven seals. The sixth seal is the second coming, and it's in response to the martyr's prayer. When will you judge? How long before the enemies of God are judged and the people of God are avenged? And then you have the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets emphasize this idea of a final exodus. It also emphasizes this idea of the second coming of Jesus Christ and then those seven bowls. The seven bowls are all describing one event. And that one event is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is indeed a hard stop. Everything ends at the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is going to bring heaven to earth. There will be this merging, and the enemies of God will be judged, the people of God will be vindicated, and the program or purpose or story of God will be completed. And to that we do indeed say, Amen, Hallelujah. That's what we are going to see. Inside of this section of Scripture, you have the seventh bowl, which was read by Joe, chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. It it then gives us this summary statement concerning the coming of Jesus. Chapter 17, this Babylon, which I'll explain in a moment, is exposed. Chapters 18, 1 through 19, 5, it is destroyed. You have the mourning of these people who have made merchandise hover, and then Babylon replaced with the church or the people of God. The big idea of this entire section is that Babylon is going to fall. One day there will be an end to evil. There will be an end to sin. It will be completely removed from our experience. And for me personally, I cannot wait until that struggle has ended and God's story begins in full. But you have this big idea of the fall of Babylon. It is interesting concerning this Babylon That Babylon, as we know it, is an already not yet idea. There has always been this idea of Babylon. There has always been this evil empire. In fact, it is interesting how 17.1 begins. He says, I saw a great whore, 
sitting on the beast. The idea is not an individual. The idea is rather symbolic of something more insidious and more pervasive than a physical, tangible city. Now, I have always thought I wish that the object of our avoidance were as easy as something that is physical, concrete, and tangible, something that I could see, that I could grab a hold of and, in a sense, kill. But it is something else, and that's what Revelation 17 and 18 tells us. And we will see that this thing is working currently in our present situation. But we have Babylon. And Babylon has always had multiple faces, but there's something out there that's being driven by this unholy trinity. When you think of Babylon, it it has a certain significance or meaning to us because of our understanding of Scripture. In the first five books of the Bible, it is only mentioned twice, and it's mentioned in relationship to Nimrod. Nimrod was the son of Cush, a descendant of Cush, who was a descendant of Noah. And Nimrod is only mentioned in Genesis 10 and in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10. And it says that Nimrod was the beginning of the kingdom of Babel. And from Babel, you then go to Nineveh and you go to Assyria. Jewish Bible commentators portray this individual as a rebel against the Lord, a warlike giant, a murderer of innocent men, a mighty man in sin, an oppressor, a tyrant, and a hunter of men through persecution. So anytime we speak of Babylon, we are speaking of something that embodies evil. And Revelation chapters 17 and 18 uh, give us even a fuller expression of what this Babylon is. It is a city, an empire, an idea that enslaves and destroys. It is built on death, producing death. Everyone who enters this city, all who embrace this idea, always go further than they wish, pay more than they want, and stay longer than they desire. Because in the end, Babylon takes life and gives death. And thus you have this picture, this tale of two contrasting cities. You have the city of God, the one that God is building, and then you have this Babylon, the one that this unholy trinity is empowering. The one produces death and the other life. So what does this death dealer look like? Well, we see that in Revelation chapter 17. You have this Babylon exposed. So even though it speaks of Babylon or it speaks of this great whore, it embodies this idea, this empire, this city. Now, I'm not going to take the time and go through 14 different things that are described of this idea, but I will mention just a few, and we will see that as we move forward. Uh, The first idea that you, you catch right away is that she feeds promiscuity. She is involved in this whole sex trafficking. She's involved in pornography. She represents the complete collapse of morality, and this is even emphasized throughout the entire chapter. She rides a scarlet beast. One thing we do see concerning this idea is that it's energized by the great red dragon, by the beast from the sea, by the beast from the earth. So there is this entity out there that is opposed to God and his people. We know that. We have called that the world, and I'll tease that out in just a moment, but this is the enemy of God. There is this element that is empowered by evil, by the great red dragon, by the beast from the sea, by the beast from the earth. And this great whore is identified as Babylon the great. She is a slayer of God's people. She is a prison for every abhorrent thing. 
Fortunately for us, when we get to chapter 18, we see that Babylon, this evil, will be completely annihilated and forgotten. But what is this place? What is this city? If you told me that this city was somewhere geographically located, I would want to avoid it. In fact, Revelation 18.4 says, Come out from her. And we'll see how the Gospel of John says you are in the world, but you are not of the world. But there, there is this idea existing in the world in which we live that is opposed to all that is godly, that all that is God. We call this place Babylon. And I'm going to connect this place and this city with the power of a fallen world overseen by the father of lies. And what I'm wanting to do, because we are in Revelation, and the Apostle John wrote Revelation, as well as the Gospel of John and the letters of John, let's just focus on what John says concerning Babylon. And so we're going to take the word world, and we'll trace it in the Gospel of John, the letters of John, and then in the book of Revelation. Because... John uses the word world more than any other New Testament author. And the way John uses that world is highly informative. But we're going to begin with the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uses the word, John uses the word 57 times in the Gospel of John. And the word has several meanings. But one of the meanings that this word has is the evil that it represents. Think about what Jesus says concerning this world. He says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you. He's in the upper room with his disciples. That in me you have peace in the world, the world that is opposed to me. You will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good cheer. I have overcome that evil. I have overcome that world. And then in John chapter 17, you have what is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And praying to the Father, he says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, which indeed he does, and you'll see that in the letters. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's the prayer Jesus prays to his Father concerning his people. So you and I are in this world, a world that is opposed to God, but we are not of that world. We are looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. We are on a very different trajectory. So in the Gospel of John, you have this idea that you and I are in the world, But we are not of this world, this world that is against God. The world we are in but not of is an antichrist world that's seducing and deceiving us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it is that world described as, in John, in Revelation 17, as a great whore, as Babylon, the great city. The assault against us isn't just physical persecution, but spiritual deception and otherworldly seduction. So we are dealing with something that isn't just concrete, tangible, physical. It is something that is spiritual. It is something that is not necessarily seen. So the Gospel of John tells us in his usage of the world that we are in this thing, we are in it, but we are not of it. 
So when we shift to the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John likewise has a lot to say concerning this world. Notice how the world functions. John says in 1st John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says to his audience, to the church, to the people of God, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy your house. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy your car. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy your job. But there is something out there that we are not to love. And there are things in that world that we are not to love. He goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there is something out there opposed to the things of God that although we are in, we are not of, and we are not to love them. He then says in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires or lusts of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then in verse 17, he gives us this statement, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And it's, it's consistent. What John says of the world in the gospel, he equally reiterates in 1 John, and then he shows us what that looks like in Revelation 17. The same ideas are consistently being expressed throughout the writings of John. So we know that this world, the great whore, Babylon, this city, is something that is energized by the great red dragon. It's being used and manipulated by the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. And when the world shows itself, it's enticing us, it's baiting us through the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John says, be careful. Do not love that world or the things that are in this world. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. But what's interesting, as noted earlier, Revelation 18.4 says, come out from it. So we are in it, but we are not of it. And yet we are to guard ourselves against this genuine threat. This genuine threat. Now notice how Revelation, and that's really our primary study, inside the book of Revelation, how does this play out? Well, notice that threefold track that has just been mentioned in 1 John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When the Babylon is described, notice how this thing is described. It says in Revelation 17, verse 4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full. She is a very seductive, she is a very attractive element or thing. So whatever that thing is out there, it appeals to us. We want it. We desire it. And yet we are to say no to it. There is this thing, and it's appealing to us. And you have to be aware of it. And you must say no to it. But we see that the fallen world in which we exist is very appealing. There is something within our makeup that resonates with this. The world seeks to exploit that sin nature. It seeks to excite us in our rebellion against God. It is an advertisement calling out to us, promising us more and a better and exciting existence. It tells us that we can have more, we can be more, that we deserve this life 
and the life which is to come. And yet it is this world that will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Everyone that is older in age wishes that every young person learn that truth. And we as older people must always be on guard against this thing. Babylon is described like a predator, a pillager, and a thief. She is a seductress. And the image is graphically provided in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 through 27. And then this whole idea of the lust of the flesh. I found this interesting, and we've talked about it often. Words are part of families. Families have multiple children. There is a word that we are familiar with, pornos. We get the word pornography from the word pornos. Well, pornos has several siblings. In the New Testament, the siblings of pornos occur often, but they occur mostly and predominantly in Revelation 17. So we see Babylon, and she is described as a great whore, a prostitute. It talks about fornication. It talks about sexual immorality. Well, all of those words are related. They're all a part of one family. And that's what this thing out there is doing. It is interesting in Revelation 2.14. It says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. Listen to the language who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Something was being communicated, being taught. Verse 20 of Revelation 2, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing. Those words are used in parallel my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You and I sometimes think or see or are lulled into this mindset of apathy that the world is a passive aggressor. The world is passively seeking to destroy us, the people of God. And we've got to be aware of that. Everything out there is trying to deceive us and seduce us away from God. And the passages throughout chapters 17 and 18 and inside the book of Revelation where that group of words occurs the most inside of the New Testament. See, the world takes all that is good and corrupts it. Although the power of sexual attraction and appetite are inflamed and intensified in this passage, the intent is the graphic appeal to attract and snare. She has the power to enslave and destroy. And it is this woman, this city, this empire, the idea that will always take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And we must be aware of all of this. You have this lust of the eyes. It's very, very attractive. I mean, if it was absolutely abhorrent, there wouldn't be temptation. But it's attractive. And it feeds our appetites. It feeds our flesh. The last thing we see inside of Revelation 17 concerning Babylon is this whole idea of the pride of life. It appeals to our autonomy. When you read Revelation 17:2 and 18:3, it's very graphic depiction of this world, kings and merchants being drunk with her wares. It's they've waxed rich 
And it occurs extensively inside the book of Revelation and five times in our passage. All we see and all we hear from 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, and now in Revelation 17, is an ancient and well-worn path. When we think of, of this pattern, it is easy to see how it is repeated with Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, remember when the woman saw the tree that was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. There is always this threat. We see the same thing in the story of Achan in Joshua 7, King David in 2 Samuel 11 with his sin and with Bathsheba and against Uriah. Even when the devil tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. That temptation follows that path, that pattern. Ephesians 6, 11 says that we are never ignorant of the devil's methods. What is he going to do? How is he going to appeal to us? Well, in this Babylon, it will be through the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, through the desire of the pride of life. It is this world the devil is described as the prince of, as the God of this age. It is this world that has been used, victimized, and exploited by the devil to thwart and challenge and distract from the word, the work, and the worship of God. It is this world that you and I are in, but we are not of. The world that we exist in is reflected by the local church, by the family of families, by the household of God, by the dwelling place of God, the temple of God, the world we are a part of is not of this world. We are in a different world. When you and I hear this, first of all, we must come to understand that it is indeed true. And it is the reality in which we live. And we need to be made aware of it. But the beautiful thing about the text is that this Babylon, this world, this idea, this city, this empire that is opposed to God, that we are not to love is going to be destroyed. There will come an end to Babylon. What is interesting about Babylon's destruction inside the text are the mutually contrasting and exclusive responses. As we have heard Revelation 18 read, when Babylon falls, when this world system is destroyed, those who made merchandise of her are going to weep and mourn. But the church of God in Revelation 19, the people of God are going to shout, Hallelujah. What's interesting about the word Hallelujah? The word Hallelujah only occurs four times in the New Testament. And all of its occurrences are in chapter 19. And the way the text was read emphasized this whole response. And I trust you felt it. One of the reasons why we have the public reading of God's word is that we feel it. You have all this darkness exhibited in chapter 16 all the way through 18. All of a sudden in 19, hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. That's what we have in Revelation. Why is this so powerful? Why is it so important? There is something within our hearts that craves justice. We want justice in our world today. In our hearts and minds, we yearn for biblical justice. We want that justice. But the world seeks such 
in the absence of God. The world wants and tries to parrot what the Bible answers, but the world refuses to bow before it and thus God. Their response to injustice is distorted, partisan, and rather than answer the question, it simply inflates and exasperates the problem. The cry for social justice, which is only a parody and mutation of a justice absent of God and thus an abhorrent falsification of the right thing. We must always seek to be just and act justly, but according to the guidelines and dictates of the Bible. I want justice, and we should be just and act justly, but that scale will not be fully met until Jesus returns. We long for the day when all that is crooked, malicious, victimizing, exploiting, and abused shall be corrected and completely eradicated. And in the day of evil's destruction, the people of God shall rejoice and sing, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Inside of this picture of contrasts, which if we've been tracking in Revelation, we see Babylon falls. The people who have made merchandise of her mourn and weep. But we, the people of God, rejoice and sing, shout, hallelujah, you also have this contrasting picture between two cities. We know that one day, Babylon shall be destroyed, and the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, shall be settled on earth. And the merging of these two things will indeed take place. The beauty of all this is that when Jesus Christ returns, when Jesus returns, three things happen. When Jesus returns, the enemies of God are judged. Hallelujah. When Jesus returns, the people of God are avenged. Hallelujah. And when Jesus returns, the vision of God will be completed. Hallelujah. I trust you feel the weight of how the text has played out. Jesus is coming, and when he does, those three things are going to take place. What is the good news in all of this? Well, we've stated three, but what is the good news? First and foremost, Jesus has already told us that he has overcome the world. The enemy that you and I face right now in time, in this horizontal, in this tribulation, Jesus Christ has already overcome. And as a consequence of that in him, we have overcome this world. The third thing we see as we read Revelation, as we read through our passage, is that Jesus is reclaiming this world for the full reinstallment of his kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven. The prayer of Matthew 6 shall be met and answered in full. And because of that, today, you and I, in this day, can say, sing, and shout, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! So what do we do with this? We know that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Well, we have already seen repeatedly how Revelation is telling us what Daniel speaks to. The book of Daniel has two broad sections. In the book of Daniel, there, there are a series of six narratives that happen in the first six chapters. And then you have these four symbolic visions. So when you look at the book of Daniel, you have Daniel and his peers in Babylon, but not of Babylon. They're in it, but not of it. And you'll remember the three stories. Daniel 1 begins with them being offered meat from the king's table. But they would not eat from the king's table. In chapter 3, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow before the king's idol, but they refused to bow before the king's idol. And then in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was told, you cannot pray before any god but me. And Daniel refused to obey the king's command. What do we do while we are in this world but not of this world? What is our response to all of this? Revelation says, come out from her. How do we come out from her? We are here. Well, like Daniel, we must not eat from the king's table. We must not bow before the king's idol. We must not obey the king's command. We've already mentioned how the temptation of Jesus follows this same pattern. He was confronted with that same process. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And he refused to eat from that king's table. He refused to bow before that king's idol. He refused to obey that king's command. One of the problems we have is that the specificity and application of this changes in every generation. When your little children grow up to be old like you, they will be confronted with a different cycle. But the pathway is the same. The threat is the same. Being in this but not of it. And what do we need to do with this text? We need to wake up. It's easy to sit in the context of a family of families and study the scripture and walk away saying, okay, that was perhaps helpful. But realize as you leave this place, (laughs) the threat against you is real. There's an active agent seeking your destruction. I always wish it was tangible, concrete. I wish I could put a name and a face, but it's something more insidious than that. And realize that the threat is real. And don't eat from that table. Don't bow before that idol. And don't obey that command. Refuse it. Remember that you are in it, but you are not of it. And let us not forget this simple truth. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, the material that we consider this morning in Revelation 16 all the way through 19, it's a lot of stuff. But it says a singular truth. Babylon is going to fall. We know that there has been and will be Babylons. We know that we exist in Babylon, but we are not of Babylon. We know that you have overcome Babylon and thus we can be of good cheer. We know that we have overcome as well because of you, Babylon, but the threat is still real. Help us be awakened to the threat. Thank you, Father, that a day is coming when your son will return and we as your people will sing, shout, and declare, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time together as a family. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.